listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. Send in your question or comment. To participate in the show, you can text or call 757-774-8482. Or to email the show, you can go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link and send your question or comment there. We'll use it as part of the show. Indeed, welcome to the fireside chat. Mm. Nat and I are sitting in the uh, the living room today. Usually, we're in the basement, but we brought it uptown a little bit. We came up to the living room. We're sitting in front of my fireplace. Ah, it's luxuriating. The, it is. It's nice. It's great. It's the Fret Files podcast. Your fortnightly foray into guitar science. My name is Eric Daw, and I am a guitar scientist. Mm-hmm. Twenty five years of experience restoring, building. And repairing guitars. How about that? That's great. Makes me sound old. Today, my co-host is, of course, the world-famous Nat. Hello. Greetings. I will read the listener-submitted questions, and Eric will try to answer them the best he can, drawing on his experience as a professional luthier. What's on your bench lately, Eric? I am trying to... uh, you know, remember I make the uh, Gibson amp handles, the reproduction, oh, yeah. the reproduction plastic yeah. amp handles. Because you had too much time and energy, and you, yeah, I remember, well, a couple, remember that? yeah, a couple people really want a few, and so <laughs> they're neat. Because I was kind of done doing it. Like, okay, I've I've done this. Sales dropped off. I mm-hmm. I sold. I made twenty of them or so, and and sold them. Took the hint. And yeah. Moved on. And so the twenty people looking for those, everybody moved on with their mm-hmm. lives, mm-hmm. including me. Yep. So a couple people reached out and said, "Hey, I need one." So I said, "All right. Well, I got some epoxy, casting resin. Yeah. You know, the, mm-hmm. got out the molds that I had made, whipped up a batch." <clears throat> and I made the handles, and I popped them out of the molds, and they just immediately fractured into bits. Whoa. Yeah. So I bought the wrong casting resin. It was way too brittle. Huh. Yeah. I didn't know that was an option. I mean, I don't know. It was I a thought, different brand. I thought bubbles were the bane of that existence. Oh, well, that that's job. the other thing. Man, it's those bubbles. Cast Resin casting Gibson amp handles is a fool's errand. Yeah. Let me just tell you. I probably won't make any more of them. Yeah, people. I'm done. And uh, if anybody else wants to pick up the mantle, <laughs> I highly don't recommend it. <laughs> You're not going to pass the torch, huh? If somebody really wanted to uh, carry on with this endeavor, I would send them the molds, actually. Because well, I'm done making these amp handles. There's no money. A, there's no money in it, really. And B, it's a ginormous time suck and pain in the rear end and Ultimately, i'm not yeah i'm not like this is not my uh expertise resin casting yeah you're not an amp handle tech 
Now, if somebody had uh, the gear to do it, really the way to do it is to pour the resin in the mold and then put it in some kind of vacuum, and it sucks out all the air bubbles. It does? Or like a shaker table Supposedly. Or something. Yeah, all if right. you let it cure in a vacuum, then that sucks out all the air bubbles. At least that's what the guy on YouTube said. Well, he would know. Yeah. He would know. Right? Well, that's fun. That's where all of the uh, world's truths reside. Boy, they really are. I heard a story about a guy resetting a shoulder after a hunting accident, and it was too painful for this guy to walk, so they got to some high ground, got some cell phone service, watched how to pop in a shoulder, pop this guy's shoulder in, off he went. YouTube. Huh. I know. He could. He should have sent that into the horror stories episode. <laughs> he could have. All right. What else you got on there? You what got else some is guitars? going on? Yeah, I sold two guitars today. Two, Just like that. Yeah, huh? two custom guitars. Got. I completed them over the weekend. Listed them for sale today. Sent out the mass email, and and sold them immediately. So they that's good news. Vaporized them, huh? Snatched yeah, them up. they go fast, which is a great problem to have. But I, I, I also get emails from frustrated guys who are like, I don't check my email that often, man. How, how am I supposed to ever get a chance at one? And I don't know. How am I, how, like, is there a more fair way for me to do this? No. It, I'm doing the best I can. Yeah, you're, you're, you're not a lottery tech equal distribution person either. Yeah. Plus, just making guitars. here's another thing to learn. I have to tell my kids this all the time. Life isn't fair. Yeah. And if you have expectations that it's supposed to be, man, you're just setting yourself up for disappointment. Unmet expectations. That's my middle name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's tough. Well, goodbye, yeah. guitars. We hardly know you. That, yeah, that's tough. Tough luck there, Charlie Brown. Yeah. All right. Page three, if you'll refer to the show oh, notes, which we haven't even three. read. I, I realized, so I've been selling books. Thank you to everyone oh, yeah. who ordered books. Mm-hmm. Solid Sound. You That's can go to name. yeah. You can go to solidsoundbook.com. It's my book of uh, wiring diagrams. Some mm-hmm. of them kind of secret that I've protected over the years. Anyway, they're finally published. You should order a copy. Thanks to everyone who has. And apparently, this website that got set up by my buddy and partner in book crime, Dan Peter Zelko. There's like software built into the website that prompts people to leave a review two weeks after they've ordered. Oh, no, you can't read those. And I had no idea. Oh, no. And somebody somebody emailed me and said, hey, sorry, I haven't left a review yet. And I said, what? <laughs> he goes, well, the emails, I, I get these prompts to leave a review. I said, And I said, what? Oh, no. So apparently the website emails you and asks you to leave a review. I didn't know that. I didn't even know there were reviews. I I scope around on the back end of the website and find this hidden tab there, reviews. Oh boy. And I speak and to I, a manager. And like, so I printed off just a fraction of them. Oh, There's great. like 50 reviews hidden there that I didn't even know were there. Well, how fun! So we're gonna very quickly speed through a few reviews. We yeah, don't need to do. read. We don't need to re- read all of these. But whoa, I'm gonna start. 
Here's a book review. A quality book with a style that harkens back to instruction manuals of the 50s and 60s. High quality, informative, and easy to understand. I recently tried out Eric's Crazy Telly wiring, and it completely transformed my guitar. I'm going to try one of the Esquire wiring diagrams next. Great book. You will not be disappointed. That's from Todd. Thank you, Todd. That's a good little blurb. Let me try one. Great resource of information for single-coil Fender-style pickups and guitar wiring. Indeed. The the diagrams are very clear and the descriptions concise. Thank you. Ah, I like that. I have not seen a few of these schematics before, but can't wait to try them out. I wind my own pickups. Hey, there's an expert. And think some of these configurations will open up a whole new world of tone, especially considering... The year's experience that Eric Daw has as a luthier. That's some Stephen. That's Thank you, good. Stephen. You know, I already had too much self-esteem, and this is just really making problems worse. Well, there's probably someone that says, hey, <laughs> I don't know we could scan for... Let's, yeah, there's a few in here that sound like they're from my mom. Oh, that's good. Let's find them. Very clear, and it will appeal to all skill levels and expertise. I am a fan of Mr. Da. I own a rather magnificent pinup telly oh, and man. have recommended this book both to people I know and to people I don't. People I don't. I thought he was going to say to both people he knows, <laughs> which would be my problem. You're yeah. you're one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And my mom. I like the colors on the cover, too. That's from Duncan. Thank you, Duncan. That's a good one. I want to read this one with gravy in it. Go for it. Hello, Eric. Solid Sound is a fantastic book full of great insights and beautifully designed. Mm -hmm. As gravy, Mm -hmm. and where's it going to go? Here are a couple of elements that I would like to learn about more in relation to your experience. Treble bleed circuits, resistance values on tone slash volume pots, and their impact on tone. Uh Okay. Thanks again for sharing your knowledge. That's from Daniel. Thank you, Daniel. There you go. You know, here's the deal. I made it pretty clear in the book that it's not intended to be a book. And, and this is not to pick on you, Daniel. I appreciate you buying a book. I appreciate your in, insight here, mm-hmm. your input. But this book is not intended to be a primer, like a, a, oh, yeah. a basic, you know, guitar electronics book. Those topics, like resistance values of pots and their impact on tone, treble bleed circuits, uh, if you don't already understand those, brush up on the basics first before you dive into this book, because this book is a little more advanced as far as... Well, it's not quite the place, well, really. And, the you know, my thinking was, okay, there's already 20 books about the basics of guitar wiring. Mm-hmm. It would be ridiculous for me to um, to try to do another one and then put my... Uh, secret schematics in there too i just wanted a concise book like look here's some ways to unlock some hidden tones in fender style guitars that you may not have considered that i've discovered over my luthier career of two plus decades so specific to the overall circuits and that those aspects Mm -hmm, i mm -hmm, dig mm -hmm. i dig you want another one what do you want to do yeah i'll read one more there was one that uh Oh, this guy wants a larger font version for his old eyes. I can get behind that. Yeah. we. I looked into making it larger, making a larger book, and we really thought, okay, we want it 
a bench size. Yeah, it's a bench reference. Yeah. Right. Now, if you have eye problems, I can't really, I can't really uh, address that. Darn it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you could turn on the light on your smart telephone. Mm-hmm. All right, here's one more. Eric has a special ta- I mean, this is, it's just so embarrassingly yeah, do it. Uh, Thanks, Mom. complimentary. Eric has a special talent for delivering useful information clearly and succinctly. Oh, man. He doesn't just talk about stuff, which is so common in this field. Rather, he explains how something functions and then describes the steps needed to get that result. The book mm. is focused and clear. Mm. Rather than chatting for pages... Eric sticks to the point and delivers the information needed without lots of editorializing. The book introduces several new circuits and new approaches, again, with great clarity. Oh, man. These aren't just wacky different circuits. They're purposeful designs that offer useful, practical innovations. I thought the book was just great, and I'm glad I got a copy. That is the best review I've read. Patrick, thank you so much, man. There you go. Concise about four different ways. I know, and what I love about it is that Patrick is actually describing the way I approached this book when I started. Like, I had an idea, like, okay, this book, I want this to be concise and clear and niche, actually. Right, and specific and no uh, fluffy anecdotes. So Patrick got it. Filler. And, according to Patrick, I I did well in my... You knocked it out of the park. Yeah, there you go. That's what you did. There you go. So how about a celebratory... uh, This is a country music reference here. Here you go. Ready? Pop a top. Okay. (laughs) Is that Jim Ed Brown? Who did that? I don't know. One of them guys. It's not even a real beer. I don't even drink beer anymore. So I've got... Why would you? Look what they got now. I know. I'm really into hop-flavored sparkling water. Mm -hmm. It's my new thing. I love it. There's... (sighs) No carbs, no alcohol, no sugar, no anything. It's just... Just pure sp- liquid refreshment. Sparkling water with a hint of hops. Man, it's so good. If you uh, are into that kind of thing, I highly recommend it. Right now I'm having the Sierra Nevada Hop Splash. Man, it's refreshing. Is anything? It really is good. All right. It is great. Let's, uh, shall we uh, read some questions from the fine people? Let's try. All I've right. lost a little bit of track. I got one. Okay. Let me try this. Letters. We get letters. We get stacks and stacks of letters. Hey, man. Howdy. Question about repair costs. Right. I recently had a neck reset done on a 1964 Martin D18. The luthier I took it to was highly recommended, and he did a great job. My question is more about the price. He charged $400 for the neck reset. Hey, that's bargain, ain't it? But in addition to that, oh, here we go. He charged $80 to make and install a new saddle. So with tax and strings, it was close to $500, and I was expecting $400 because his price chart said neck resets were $400. Mm. Ah, there's our, there's, I'm going to put a little asterisk right there. That's our issue. I really thought that making a new saddle would be included in the price of a neck reset because changing the neck angle will almost certainly necessitate a new saddle. I gently mm. told him as much, and he got pretty defensive about it. 
saying that I was trying to barter on the price after the fact. Yeah. So what do you say? Was I in the right to question it? Should a neck reset price include the cost of a new saddle, or is that work truly extra cost above and beyond a neck reset? Hmm. Matt in AZ. He's in Arizona. Thanks, Matt. The price is the prerogative of the repairman. Well, there you go. Some shops are going to charge extra for a custom-made saddle after a neck reset, and some are going to roll it into the overall price. My inclination is to say that it's an extra charge because it doesn't always necessitate a new saddle. Usually will, but I've seen plenty of instances on guitars where the saddle is plenty tall. It It's a guitar that just sat in a closet for 20 or 30 years, and now it needs a neck reset. So you reset the neck, and there's plenty of saddle still to work with. So in that case, would I give a discount? Oh, I didn't need to make a new saddle, so I'm giving a discount on this hot hide glue neck reset, which is unbelievably time-consuming. I don't know if you guys know this, but honestly, neck resets, I know you think they're expensive. They should be about three times more than what they are. Most shops charge between four and six hundred bucks for a, a hot hide glue neck reset. Yeah. And you gotta. It takes me days. Days. Yeah. Of just working on just your guitar. Um, And the saddle in my... So if it were me billing it, then... And I had to do a new saddle, that's an extra cost. If I have to cut a fresh saddle after doing the neck reset, that's an additional cost because it's additional work. The neck reset is only for the neck joint. Taking it off, taking the neck off. Right. Uh, Resetting the neck. and Yeah, all the work involved in resetting the neck. Your dilemma started before the work was even done in that you, it sounds like, assumed how much it was going to cost by just looking at his chart. Yeah. And you didn't exactly say that, but I kind of inferred it from your question here that you guys didn't, clearly you didn't discuss it beforehand. So you're both at fault here. You should have asked, and he should have told you, he should have given you a quote. Sounds for, like he didn't. For the most likely situation, with every, yeah. which everybody agrees, you, it, maybe more often than not, you need a new saddle, which yeah. is additional highly skilled labor. Mm-hmm. So I don't blame you entirely but it is partially your fault. And I don't blame your luthier entirely, but it's partially his fault because, you know, if I'm, when I start work for somebody, uh, and it's, they're going to have a price quote first, unless I'm getting into something that I just don't know how much it's going to cost until I get into it. And like some weird electronics problem. Uh, and in that case, I'll say, Hey, I'll call you when I open this up and and we'll talk about price. Would you have kind of a good faith estimate in any case? Yeah, kind of. I'd give them a range. Yeah, I'd give them a range, you know? But, yeah. yeah. Here's my other point about this. You started off by saying he did a great job. Yep. Yep, that's important. And I think that that is important. Plus, um, 
you're complaining about $80 in the grand scheme of of the Necri set here. He had to pay tax, man. And it sounds like you've got a great... He's got a 1964 Martin D18 that now has a great neck angle and now a fresh awesome. saddle. Yeah. Now it's awesome. You paid the bill. Quit complaining. Well, I appreciate one thing about old Matt and AZ. He gently told him uh, a little bit of his misconception. And I thought that was pretty good and it's probably unwarranted to get defensive about it. Uh, you know, that I could sure see that being a sore spot for these luthiators, though. Yeah. Someone come yeah. in and say, I want to I want to do this uh, or after the fact, hey, this is great. So why are you charge me an extra eighty bucks? But way to give it a try on the gently talking about something emotionally fraught. Maybe, yeah. Give it, good job. And he says the luthier got defensive. I can sympathize with that. Let me tell you, uh, even the let's say the top luthier in the country oh. is not getting rich, guys. Yeah, this is not. Like, this is not a way to get rich. Yeah, not one neck reset at a time. All these guys, myself included, we do this because we got super interested in it and invested in it, and it's my passion. Yeah. And and That's an important point, yeah. It puts food on the table, but trust me, (laughs) I'm not getting rich here. Mm -hmm. And I, I would say even the... Like the, I don't know, even like T.J. Thompson, maybe the most well-known vintage Martin okay, guitar yeah. restorer. I just recently listened to uh, a podcast on the Fretboard Journal where he spoke at the Fretboard Summit. And I think that's exactly what he said is like, look, I'm not getting, I'm not getting rich doing this, guys. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What a great topic. I'm glad Matt brought that up. Thanks, Matt. And, you know, I I guess I shouldn't be surprised that you sided with the cranky luthiators. Did I? I blamed them both. Come on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, let me try another one. Hi, Eric. I just received your solid sound book. That's a good one. I'm looking forward to trying your take for an Esquire. Good. Mm-hmm. After reading it, I was a little disappointed that oh. there was no wiring layout for the Jaguar. Here we go. I know. Though the, you're about to get defensive, aren't you? Pretty defensive. Um, th- though the Jazzmaster circuit could be adapted to the Jaguar. For future editions, consider adding the original Teleblend circuit. Oh, I'd like to hear it. Okay. There's a little mark right there. I'd like you to answer that interrogatory. Also, you could recommend using quality CRL and Oak Grigsby switches and Gavit pushback wire. You just did. Yeah. There's no need for me to. That's pretty sufficient. Uh, Some of the cheap components you find on the internet can lead to more frustration than success. I've also been listening to past episodes of your podcast and have enjoyed them for the guitar knowledge you disperse. Thank one you. that yeah, one that stuck out was dealing with the Telly B bender. I wish you could have pointed out that the <laughs> he's giving you some helpful advice. Take it to heart. Don't be defensive. <laughs> I haven't said a word. <laughs> I haven't said anything I know. yet. I know. Um, I wish you would have pointed out that the B bender is designed to bend the B string. Or All right, some, hold on. 
Listen, it's called the bee bender. You expect me to point out that it hey. bends the bee string? Hey, this this guy. It's literally called the bee bender. <laughs> Hold on. Wait, let's Did look, you have to look it up? Let's see where this is going. All righty. So he had some wishes, and it turns out the bee bender's for the B string, or in some cases, the G string, when cording. Oh. If you listen to Clarence White, you know, from the birds, mm. great guy, Sweethearts of the Rodeo, and Will Ray, mm-hmm. the Helicasters, heard of him, are just two examples of what you can do with a bee bender. Yeah. I can understand. I can understand that you don't want to install one. Word. You could you could direct anyone oh here give <laughs> a recommendation. Oh, I hope we're not piling on. This this is kind of fun. No, keep going. All right. You could direct anyone looking to get a unit installed to contact Joe Glazer in Nashville TN. He he has a glazer he's got his own brand of them, doesn't he? He specializes in installing B-Bender units. Good. Keep up the great work, and I look forward to listening to the future Fret Files broadcasts. Oh, I like, I like that he said broadcasts. Okay, redeemed all is redeemed. the whole thing, but All is redeemed. <laughs> broadcasts is such a cool word, in it, rather than podcast. I know. He's broadcasting. Best regards, Chuck. Thanks, Chuck. Well, I do have one mark on there. That all was right. enormously entertaining, but also... Consider adding the original Tele blend circuit. Yeah. In the book, I talked about the blend circuit for maybe two sentences, and I said, here's the deal. It's not included in this book because you you will probably never encounter it, and it's not oh. popular. It's not a popular way to wire your Tele. It's one of the early wiring designs. Right. And I saw no point to include it now. Again, 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 this is not intended to be a book on the basics of guitar wiring. And and every conceivable scheme or pickup. I would direct you to the nearest computer (laughs) where you could type in early Telecaster wiring Mm -hmm. diagrams. That have gone nowhere. The blender blender circuit. Yeah. So I bet you, you know, if I'm gonna guess Chuck has a telly with the blender circuit and a B bender. No, I'm just kidding. You might. You might. Chuck, That'd I appreciate cool. the uh the email. I really do. It does remind me a little about uh just just anecdotally, you know, your mom buys you two shirts. Oh yeah? A blue shirt. And a red shirt. Yeah. And you're so excited. You're like, I'm going to go try one of these on. You go in, you try the blue shirt on, you come out, and you go, what do you think, Mom? She says, what, you don't like the red shirt? Oh. Chuck likes the book, but <laughs> Chuck likes the book. He Don't get Chuck wrong. He loves the book. No. But what's, what, what's, why didn't you do it the way I wanted? Oh, gosh. Well, you know, he asks gently, and then you get pretty defensive. This is why people don't write into the show <laughs> I know. with as into much the, regularity the, as they into used the broadcast. to. I know. That's it, good. It's also why we withhold last names. That's Yeah. That's, You're completely anonymous, Chuck. That's good stuff. In fact, I often change the first names. Good thinking. Not really. All right. Well, I'm say that kidding. anyway, though. Let me try this one. <laughs> Hi, Eric. Love the podcast. I have a mid-60s Martin D-1220 12-string. Yeah. 
wow, these people have nice guitars today uh, that I want to amplify mostly for smaller, relatively low-volume gigs. I've been debating buying a removable sound hole pickup versus mm. having a permanent pickup installed. Mm. Okay. My inclination is to go with the simpler, removable alternative. Mm. But I'm interested in your thoughts and hopefully a recommendation regarding which way to go, as well as brands that you would recommend. Muchas gracias, mm -hmm. Bruce. Thanks, Bruce. If that were my guitar, I would put a K and K. Uh, the regular the, three, the pure classic. Yeah. Um, in fact, I think they make one that's specifically for twelve string, where the elements are a little bit bigger. Oh. Now they don't fit in every guitar because not every guitar has a big enough mm -hmm. bridge plate. But the K and K, uh, pure mini, acoustic soundboard transducer. That's what I would put in there. I this that the sound hole pickup. I mean, mm. they make some that are okay. I think they look goofy and they don't sound great. Yeah, and I I don't know. I'm just not. I'm not as big of a fan. The cool thing about the K and K is it's not going to change the look of your guitar right. at all, and it's going to sound better. And they're completely passive, so there's no battery to mess yeah. around with. It's lightweight, the, simple. Yeah. Sounds yeah. great. Yeah. You know, I think part of the appeal, having bought a sound hole pickup that was well regarded, I think part of the appeal is you're going to swap this into several guitars. And then, you know what? You won't ever Are you, do it. Though? You're not going to no, do it. No. And, and, and it's not going to, it's such a weird compromise. Mm hmm. Versus being able to just pick up that guitar, plug it in, and play your smaller, relatively low-volume gigs Yeah, simply. Yeah. And with the sound hole pickup, you either have to hardwire it to an end pin jack yeah. or have the, have a goofy the thing cord out. draping out of the sound hole. It's so gauche. And it's not... Yeah, yeah. it's not cool. It's like... Trey gauche. Yeah, yeah. That ain't right. Let's take a quick break. And I'm going to put another log on the fire. Oh, yeah. And uh, we'll be right back with more. You know, playersgearmusic.com is the go-to place for neck heating irons or neck presses. We've been telling you about that for a long time. But you should really check out his effects pedals. Go to playersgearmusic.com. Rick over there makes custom guitar pedals, and he makes all kinds. They're so unique. Check them out. Uh, distortion pedals, boosts, fuzz pedals. And sometimes they're in really unique um, containers. Sometimes they're uh, painted wild. you got to check it out. Playersgearmusic.com. While you're there, look up the neck heating irons that he sells. It's the only place on earth that I'm aware of you can still buy one. And it's essential. It's essential in my shop. I use mine all the time. Playersgearmusic.com. Check it out. This episode of the Fret Files podcast is brought to you by Apex Coffee Roasters. Based in Waco, Texas, Apex Coffee Roasters searches the globe for the best coffee beans available, roasting them in-house to unlock the natural aromas and flavors that make each cup an individual experience. Order Apex Coffee online. Fret Files listeners can use the promo code PINUP at checkout to receive 10% off from ApexCoffeeRoasters.com. Hey, life happens. Coffee helps. 
apexcoffeeroasters.com. It's good stuff. And we're back. Thank you for those lovely messages. Mm-hmm. We, there were no calls this evening. Oh. So we're doing only only emails, which is fine. That's great. That's no problem. It is. All right, read, read us another one. Uh, I hope it starts with, hey, Eric. Yeah. I recently acquired a beautiful player-grade Gibson Bicentennial Firebird. Hmm. Whoa. For a great deal, and I am trying to clean it. Specifically, I would like to clean the brass and gold hardware on the instrument. It was clearly played a lot, but seems to have sat in its case for the last 20 years or so. Due to this, the hardware's hardware's exposed nickel has developed a patina that looks great, but feels dirty and grimy. Do you have any recommendations for cleaning the nickel on gold hardware, hardware so that it doesn't feel dirty or grimy? The brass banjo tuners also feel this way. What are your recommendations for cleaning and lubricating them? As always, thank you for your advice, mm-hmm. Randy. Thanks, Randy. Hmm. He wants to know. So he's talking about gold and nickel and brass. Well, there's gold plate on nickel. Is that right? Hardware's exposed nickel is developed. I'd like to clean the brass and gold hardware on the instrument. Okay. But then he but, says... But the gold hasn't tarnished because it's gold. Yeah. The, the nickel has a patina. It yeah. looks great, and presumably he might want to keep it, but yeah. just doesn't want it to feel gross. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, here's the problem with trying to clean gold hardware. That gold plating, so they have, so it's typically they nickel plate first and then gold plate because the gold adheres to the nickel oh, okay. plate. So anytime you have gold hardware, it's nickel plated underneath that. If you were to take some paste polish and a rag, you can burn through that gold plating in about three wipes. Lickety split. I mean, it is yeah. so thin. And can you blame them? They don't want to use a bunch of gold on your on not, your guitar. Not solid gold, huh? <laughs> so that plating is so thin that uh, to clean it means the gold will just be gone. There's really no way to clean gold hardware that I'm aware of. I mean, you could maybe just wipe it down with a dry... Like a photography brush or something. Rag. Who knows? Yeah, but, you know, just tuning... The guitar is going to wear the gold off of the buttons. Yep. So you can't really clean gold. Once you're through the gold down to the nickel, the nickel will tarnish. It can tarnish and pit and and turn green. You know, in places. Um, you could uh, if it's if it feels grimy and pitted. Um, I mean, you could use some. Uh, you could use some metal polish, but you can also rub right through nickel hardware, mm. nickel plating. Man, there's two layers gone. Yeah. So I don't really, I almost, you know, to clean hardware, oftentimes I'll take, um, I'll use like a toothbrush. Okay, yeah. Just to, you know, just to kind of clean it up. But if you're going to use any kind of polishing compound or buffing wheel or a little Dremel with an attachment or anything like that, you're going to burn right through the plating. Can't do it. No. 
No. So test on inconspicuous area. The the yeah for label real. on your guitar says. Yeah. Huh. Well, that's good. Uh, uh, lubricating the brass banjo tuners. I'd have to see them. It, just a lot of times those are geared. Well, a lot of times those are sealed, and there's oh. really no way to lubricate them. Hmm. It's it's a sealed gear that should be pretty well saturated in, you know, heavy grease. grease. Yeah. So I don't think there's really a way to lubricate those. Hmm. The planetary, um, you know, banjo tuners. What's a banjo tuner? Well, what it means is the the tuning button okay. comes out straight out of the back of the headstock rather than off to the side. Oh, really? Yeah, so there's a there's a capstan and a gear, and then the tuner comes straight oh. out, so it's all linear. Oh. It's not a right angle uh, tuner shaft. It's not a right angle okay. button coming out. Yeah. Yeah, so it's... It's more like a, like a like really old school wooden peg, like yeah, you'd see I, on a violin. You yeah, know? it's kind of that it's supposed to be that look, but done with a geared tuner. Okay. But the ones I've seen are sealed, and I don't think there's any way to lubricate those. And they have those on Firebirds, huh? Mm-hmm. To yep. accentuate that groovy headstock. Well, cool. Thanks, Randy. Yeah. So if you look at the headstock from the front. You don't see tuner buttons sticking out from the side. Yeah, it's kind of a it's a cool, clean look. Yeah, but they're I could see they're it. kind of goofy. Yeah, they're different. Let me try this. Hi, Eric. I own several vintage Dano Silvertones. Oh man, Dan Electro. Yeah, vintage ones. I yeah. assume if they're there's a slash in there. Yeah, uh, and notice that a few of them are virtually silent when running both pickups in series. Hmm. Well, yeah. others are noticeably noisier with the same wiring. Okay. Also figured out that the quiet double pickup guitars have their pickup magnets reverse polarity and perhaps reverse wound. Okay. Yep. Okay. While the noisy double pickup guitars have their pickup magnets with matching polarity. Okay. I love the research that you've already done. Yeah. This question answers itself. Yeah. Tried flipping a few wires on one guitar, but concluded that the only way to get a quiet series setting with two lipsticks is straight slash reverse pickups. Mm-hmm. Yes? Did the folks at Den Electro even check for this? Yeah, probably not. Or is it just by accident that the silent operation occurs? Anecdotally, anecdotally, the real Dan Electros I own are all quiet with the corresponding magnet polarity reversal. He took the magnet out of these things? Help no. me understand. No, I think he just tested the polarity with, uh, you, you can... With you, a magnetic polarity tester thing? Or a compass, yeah. Okay, there you go. Not so much with the silver tones. I'd love to know your thoughts or any knowledge or insight you might have. I put a question to Doug Tulloch. Oh, yeah. He was on the show once. He makes pickups. Oh, okay. About a special order of reverse polarity wound pickups to match. We'll see. And lastly, I find that using the EH Hum Debugger. Never heard of that. Electroharmonics Hum Debugger. Hmm. 
absolutely drops the noise of these pickups on the normal setting hmm. without too much coloration, as I've found on other stronger pickups. Hmm. Hope all of this makes sense, and hope to hear your thoughts or any suggestions. Best, Larry Chung. Oh, yeah. I believe he's famous. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Larry. That's a fascinating, detailed... I don't know. That's gonna. That's a pretty good one. So Nate, Nat Daniel, that he went by Nat. Yeah, he's old, like you. Yeah, I mean, his name was Nathaniel, or or straight Nathan, maybe. It made it. It might have been Nathan, but I think it was. And he went by Nat. Nathaniel Nat. This is over in Jersey. Yeah, very cool. Nat Daniel Mm -hmm. was very much uh, electronics minded. Much like Lee, when Leo Fender started out, he was doing like radio repair, repair, yeah, you know, and got into amplifiers that way. Well, and these guys are all like war veterans who went and learned how to, you know, swap tubes out behind a tank dashboard or yeah. something, right? Yeah, or you know, in a in a bomber and well, twelve AX sevens, twelve AX sevens in a in a B whatever bomber. Yeah, Navy school. That's where they learn a lot of electronics. Yeah. So the guy was an electronics whiz. He was shielding these guitars. If you ever open up a vintage Dan Electro, you'll see it's completely shielded. Mm -hmm. He makes a little Faraday cage out of copper foil for the electronics. Real copper. Yeah. Cool. And the lipstick tube pickups are totally shielded because they're encased in that cover. Uh And then they'll often, almost always, have a braided shielded um, cable coming off of the pickup to the electronics. So they're very well shielded. He uh, was sharp as a tack um, when it came to guitar electronics and hum cancellation. I'm sure Hmm. that these guitars you have that are hum canceling in the middle position are that way on purpose. I'm sure. Even when they're in series, so they... Mm -hmm purposely had the right uh, winding and polarity of the magnet. Is that right? right? You need both of those? Yeah. So that they're opposite polarity and opposite winding. Wow. Now he says that his silver tones, so not Dan Electro branded, mm-hmm. but the silver tones sold through Sears. But the same pickups, right? Same pickups, but they uh, don't hum cancel. So my guess is that they were a little more discerning when it went out with the name Dan Electro on it, and less so when it said Silvertone. They came to Chicago in a big bucket or something. And- or that it could be that way, you know. Huh. It probably wasn't always that way. We can't just assume, just from your collection, what every guitar that left the factory, uh, you know, what the configuration was. But I'm sure if there's a... If there's a hum-canceling vintage Dan Electro, it wasn't by accident. That's my that's my opinion. Huh. How neat. And if I had an opinion on this, or if I if I discovered whether they were hum-canceling in the past or not, I can't recall that information. It's gone. I don't know. But I've, I've been way into vintage Dan Electros at points in my life. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I don't recall off the top of my head whether... Dual pickup Dan Electros are hum canceling in the middle position, With but purposely that was done. Yeah, but it sounds like yours are. 
Well, that's a pretty good uh, stroke of luck there. Let me try another one. How can I figure out what, if any, finish there is on an aftermarket Stratnik? Just starts right in. That's why people are probably kind of disconcerted that I just started in, but that's all we got. I like that. Yeah. For giggles, I bought a Stratnik and a body to fill it with hardware and pickups just to get some chops in setting up guitars and dialing things to my liking. I really like the feel of the neck. I even managed to dial in the nut to get a decent setup with the body I got. I'd like to give the neck just a hint of amber to vibe with the burst body a little better. I'm not sure what the neck is finished with, though. It definitely doesn't have a thick coat of poly on it, but it also doesn't feel like unfinished raw wood either. I don't know if it is a very thin nitro finish or maybe some sort of oil finish. It would seem that knowledge of what is on there would be a requirement to figuring out what, if anything, I might be able to do to effectively add a little bit of amber tint to it. So my questions are, number one, he's got them numbered, am I right that I need to know what the finish is before doing anything else? Mm. Mm -hmm. Good one. Number two, if so, any tips on what I can look for or do to make that determination. Hmm. Number three, is it possible that it doesn't matter? Here we are again. (laughs) (laughs) Confronting that that old chestnut. And I should start by just sanding back whatever is there until I'm sure I'm on raw wood and then apply tint and build back up to desired finish. Number four, are there any important things I am not considering here? Number five, this am I, going. yeah, he's covering all the bases. To start taking notes. Yeah. Am I, you're hoping it's going to be too. Am I thinking about this too much and overcomplicating life? There mm. we are again. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be the first time, he says parenthetically. As always, any thoughts or insights are appreciated. Jeff. Right on. Thank you, Jeff. Man, the existential void, once again, dealing with pickups. Okay, let me see if I can condense this. He's got a neck that he bought. Likes the neck. He likes it, but uh, it has it. It has a very thin satin yeah, finish. Or, or sanded or something. Okay. Or, yeah. Okay. He does, does he say whether it's glossy or satin? I think he, he suspects it. It doesn't feel like unfinished raw wood either, but it must be just really thin. He doesn't comment on that. Yeah. He just doesn't know what it is. It's clearly not like a mirror, you know. Big old glossy finish. Yep. Okay. So, nine times out of ten, whatever's on there, lacquer's going to stick to it. Huh. Okay. Um, what you need are going to need to do first is to rough it up just a bit. Uh, with like 220 grit sandpaper. Okay. Does he say whether it's rosewood or maple fingerboard? Oh, I don't think he does. Yeah. I think we're concerned with like the, the okay. hand feel, you know? That, that's interesting. Also, Jeff, I don't know, and I don't, I, I know quite a few Jeffs. I'm not sure if this is one of the Jeffs I know. I'm not sure your level of expertise on finishing necks either. Which is a factor to be considered. Okay. Okay. 
But um, that was number four. Good answer to number four. Was it? Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> Are there any important things I'm not considering here? Yeah, man. Uh, so if I had that neck in my shop and I wanted to spray some finish on it, what I would do would be to take it off the guitar, take the heel, and uh, just sand it just enough so that you don't want to sand through anything. All you want to do is prep the surface. Rough it up? Yeah. So we're not, we're not trying to, we're not, we don't need to sand through this finish. We just need to prep it so that Mm -hmm. the paint will stick. Because if the, if it's not sufficiently, uh, roughed up, the paint won't adhere very well. It won't stick. So you want to just give it a little scuff, just a little scuff. And then just try one little patch of paint down there. Inconspicuous mm-hmm. on the heel. Yeah. If you wanted to get real fancy, you could dip a Q-tip into lacquer thinner and just test a little patch there on the heel and see if the finish comes off. And then you'll know, oh, this is either like lacquer or shellac or something that, you know. It's soluble by this yeah, lacquer thinner. Right. But uh, even if it's some kind of you know, plasticized, whatever, polyurethane space-age NASA paint. Yeah. Lacquer's lacquer's probably going to stick to it because uh, you're going to prep it. Hmm. Right? You know, uh, even vintage uh, Fender guitars, everybody talks about how, oh, lacquer is the way to, the nitro-lacquered vintage Fender. Well... At the Fender factory, they dipped those bodies, starting in the late 50s, I think, or early 60s, they dipped them in a product called Fuller Plast before they lacquered them. Oh, no. Are you demystifying something? And Fuller Plast, Plast is short for... Oh, no. Don't say it. Plastic. Oh, great. It's a poly. They have a poly undercoat. Vintage Fenders. Past nineteen fifty nine. I don't know. Next, I don't know. I don't know the year. I'm guessing at the year. How interesting. Yeah, fuller plast uh, was the undercoat, and they would actually dip it into the vat. Not not sprayed. Yeah, it's not sprayed on, but it's a but it is a plasticized undercoat. Hmm. So all those fancy nitro finished vintage Fender guitars uh, aren't truly just lacquer on wood. What so, about the the blonde ones or see-through, translucent kind of ones? Well, the early ones, if we're going back to the early days of Fender okay. when they're doing butterscotch and blonde finishes, those are those don't have fuller plast. Okay. Because they started doing that, I don't know, late 50s, early 60s. I don't remember the year. Okay. Off the top of my head. But... um. My point is that uh, it's probably going to stick, you know, even if it's an oil-based finish or a, or some kind of poly whatever, just use it as an undercoat, and I can almost guarantee you, if you just buy, and I'm, I'm assuming that you don't finish many necks from your question. I'm just guessing. Yeah, I don't know. Reasonable assumption. Maybe you have a paint booth and a paint gun, and you're going to do a, a super pro finish because you've done a hundred of them. I don't know. But if this is your first or second or 
third or fourth one, and you're going to order like amber neck tint nitro lacquer rattle can from Re-Ranch, and you you can because you'll end up with a good quality finish there. A lot of guys do that. Um, all you all you need to do is just rough it up a little bit and then shoot it with that rattle can nitro lacquer. Hmm. You know, that's I'm guessing that's what you're going to do. And nine times out of ten, that's going to stick to whatever you've got already on there if you prep it first. Yeah. With just a just a little rough up sandpaper job. And you'll have the hint of amber. Yeah, and this yeah. Sh- this goes without saying. But when you take your 220 sandpaper, don't, don't go in a circle. You're going to go with the grain. That doesn't go without saying. Doesn't this it? Is, okay. What? You're gonna All go, of a sudden. Oh, man. You're going to go with the grain. This is critical. Watch the edges and the corners because you can sand right through. Okay, yeah. Very easily where there's an edge or a corner. But that, I think that covers more than the bases you even offered, doesn't it? Lay wants to know, is there anything he's not considering? And go ahead and tell him. That's good. There you go. Well, yeah. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks to everyone who's submitted a question. We couldn't do it if you didn't submit questions, so you should really submit questions. Call us. Call the voicemail. 757 774-8482 that number once again is one don't forget the one yeah gotta have it you like it when I include the one (laughs) I don't know one seven five seven 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 four eight four eight two I don't even know if the one is necessary I have no idea maybe not on these fancy phones I don't know if it's a rotary phone you'll you'll probably want to hit the one first yeah that's your long distance code yeah or you can uh, text that number. So call or text. The other way to do it is to go to my website, ericdaw.com, click the contact link, and send in your question or comment there. We'll use it as part of the show. Thanks, everybody, and we will talk to you soon. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you.